What is up, good citizens of Crip Nation? I hope you are having a spectacular morning, noon, or night, wherever you are in the world. Just know that you are in the right place, because today we've got a super-duper tremendous episode planned. Uh, but first, we want to tell you a little bit about our friends and our sponsors over at eToro. eToro is a crypto exchange where you can buy and sell crypto with confidence. Since 2007, eToro has been helping the average consumer trade assets. Right, yeah. Another super cool aspect of eToro is that if you're not ready to put money in the market, uh, you can trade with up to $100,000 of virtual money while you learn. So you just come on over, you join eToro, you join us, you join their 10 million users spread across 140 countries and start trading some crypto. eToro is the perfect exchange for beginners or experts. Crypt Nation, not all platforms are created equal. Go to crypto101podcast.com slash eToro and sign up to see the difference for yourself. What's up, Crypt Nation? How the hell are you guys doing today? Uh, I'm joined today by my trusty compadre, Pizza Mind. Pizza Mind, go ahead and introduce yourself to the good people of Crypt Nation. Well, as Bryce said, I'm Pizza Mind. The, the guy who really deserves an introduction today is a legend in the space. Uh, this is Franz Streiner. He's an early adopter. He's an entrepreneur. And he's the founder of a service that I use every day. Uh, I get their newsletter every week. Uh, hit, He's a founder and CEO of BraveNewCoin.com. Fran, welcome to the show, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're, I mean, God, we're going to be covering so much ground. I hope everybody's got their notepads out uh, because it's going to be a, a busy episode. We, we're going to cover your latest, uh, you know, your latest products, uh, your kind of view on the market, and some big announcements here. So first, let's start with who you are. Why did you choose to start a big data company in crypto? What is Brave New Coin? Sure, yeah, that's a couple of questions, uh, a couple of big questions to kick things off with. So look, I'm a, uh, I'm a guy that can't sit still and likes to build teams and products. And I got involved in Bitcoin in 2010 and I largely dismissed it um, just simply because there wasn't much to do with it. I was busy with other ventures. And, and I picked up the white paper back in quarter one thirteen. I realized that a this is a new asset class. B the world is going to need a hell of a lot of infrastructure. And C money is now literally data. So why don't we build an infrastructure focused data business to to start with? And uh, that was the kind of genesis of our thinking around uh, Brave New Coin, which is um, simply a play on words on on Brave New Worlds. And, you know, that name was chosen just simply because we, we viewed all this as uh, a renaissance in, in, you know, finance, as we've seen uh, uh, evolve. And so those assumptions be quite validated over the, over the last six and a half years. So this was not my uh, first venture in, in crypto. Uh, right at the beginning, I actually bought a, a whole bunch of mining equipment and uh, I was going pretty hard towards LTC and stuff like that in the early days and managed to blow out the power in the, in the block and the warehouse uh, district that I uh, hired out. Uh, and then I quickly realized that uh, just sticking to what we know as, as founders, which comes from um, uh, capital markets, finance, and a publishing background, we used to look after magazine titles like PC World, Computer World, Reselling News, um, all, all that sort of stuff back in the era when everything was first going into the cloud. So we saw those really large macro shifts change and how technology kind of breaks out and becomes exponential after certain minimal viable infrastructure level has been reached. And so 
we uh, we just put everything into focusing on um, the data business, and I can go into that in uh, in sort of through different lenses and different degrees of depth depending on what you want to cover today. Fran, you sound like you're my kind of guy. I got started in mining as well, and now I've kind of shifted over to the finance and data sector of you know crypto as well. It's really fascinating building out new companies and teams and trying to address different problems that we see in the world throughout our travels. Tell us a little bit today about what are the problems that you're trying to solve with Brave New Coin and what products that you're offering to help investors and technology managers alike make better decisions. Sure, yeah. So I can surmise the entirety of the business as follows. In the early days, we focused on what is this worth? So that was price discovery and the early research. So we started tapping into different exchanges and cleaning and consolidating that data. And then over the years, we built out, um, you know, essentially an index uh, division um, or market data division, like you would with uh, conventional asset classes. And we went through the kind of European benchmarking and IOSCO principles to bring you know, independent reference pricing under the assumption that uh, derivatives are going to be inevitable and you're going to need independent third parties to calculate uh, the underlying value of these financial instruments. And so we set up the Bitcoin liquid index way back in sometime in early 15. And then we rolled that liquid index series uh, out to uh, Ethereum and XRP. And we've now... Uh, it's a annou- different announcement, so which we can't make for another couple of weeks, but we will be powering a pretty significant basket index uh, tradable product uh, that'll go live uh, before the end of this year by the looks of things. That sounds super um, exciting. So, yeah, I mean, you can long and short sort of the uh, top market cap coins in a very clean rebalancing and uh, be able to sort of uh, create different products over time for different subclasses of this asset class and different types of investors out there. Uh, There's a real rush on to create different financial instruments to give uh, various types of exposure as, um, uh, as this whole industry matures. So that was, that was the, um, uh, the early days. And one of the other key things worth mentioning is that uh, we realized that we're better off having a, uh, distribution model or partner model. So instead of us trying to tell the whole world to create a brand new account with uh, a company they've probably never heard of before, we thought, why don't we go and uh, talk to our old colleagues and, uh, you know, in the market data world that a lot of the staff uh, used to used to work at uh, S&P and uh, Reuters and all of those types of data distribution businesses and see if we can have them distribute our data for us. And so we picked up uh, NASDAQ, uh, Teleprebon ICAP, the largest interdeal brokers on the planet, uh, with distribution arrangements. Uh, you know, our index is available via Morningstar, Bar Chart, Quick. Basically, we've become the plumbing of this asset class and its raw uh, price discovery information into the legacy world. So if you're a central bank or a regional bank or whatever, you likely already have an account and are consuming data via TPI cap or NASDAQ or something along those lines. And now uh, Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrency data fees are simply available for your existing accounts. So that's been a pretty good strategy for us in the early days. 
has brought us a lot of plumage and uh, brand awareness uh, and customers and partners in doing so. But for the last 18 months, we've been working on uh, transitioning the business to from what's this worth to what's this worth to me as a professional in this industry. Uh, so that's contextualizing all of that data, which uh, now far exceeds market data and is tapping into social and blockchain uh, information. And uh, we're going to create, well, we have created our own platform to allow portfolio managers, traders, risk officers, researchers, academics, whatever, to have a workstation or a terminal where they can consume all of the information and process their workflow in, in one place. Because as you know, there's a billion websites out there that have cool statistics and nice information, but there isn't a consolidated tool um, built for professionals to manage their day-to-day workflow um, and get the insights that they need. No, it's so true. So it, yeah, it's also like a lot of the data that's out there you can't necessarily trust either. And so having you know a pre-qualified uh, data source through Brave New Coin, you know, serves serves a huge purpose. Yeah, we argue who better to build a let's just call it a blockchain terminal than a data business in the first place. And so that is uh, actually just gone uh, into a private beta yesterday just a sort of vetted, limited 500 users that we interviewed. And we will be uh, targeting uh, mid to late November for the public launch. So there's going to be a lot of marketing and, and uh, information about all of this. And um, uh, Well, as, a, as of um, by the time this podcast drops, it uh, should already have started. That's really fascinating. And I think it's really cool. For most of our listeners, this is not something they can really take advantage of. But while we have you here, we want to ask you some questions and get your wisdom and explanations on things. For example, derivatives. That's something the average person is never going to touch, yet it's one of the best ways that market professionals use to generate wealth. Can you talk about what a derivative is and kind of how it works? Sure. I mean, the derivative is um, a financial instrument. So it's uh, different types of exposure to the different assets in, in um, whatever asset class we're talking about, in this case, crypto. So it just the, the most familiar derivative that the crypto industry is fam- uh, used to is um, leveraged futures products. So that allows a user with, say, 0.1 of a Bitcoin to uh, get, say, one or 10 uh, Bitcoin worth of exposure. So if they think the price is going up for every dollar they make, uh, every dollar the price goes up, they could um, essentially make a lot more with leverage. And of course, it goes into the other direction. Uh, They could lose a lot more, um, as we've seen, well, yesterday, actually, saw a price go from... 9700 bucks all the way down to 7700 or thereabouts um, and wiping out a good where, where's my data 300 million dollars of open interest on uh, bitmix alone wow. so quite a violent move <laughs> yeah that's crazy so yeah guys so like leverage is you know if if you bet 1 or 10 dollars it takes with with 100x leverage it would only take a 1% move in the opposite direction to wipe out your account, essentially. So it definitely amplifies 
uh, your position. And, you know, leverage is something that you guys need to be really careful with. And so uh, just, just know that leverage is out there and derivative products are out there, but definitely do your research before you get involved in those things. So let me make sure I've got this clear. So where normal purchasing a, a Bitcoin on an exchange or spot trading is basically uh, a way of me actually having this actual Bitcoin asset, but a derivative is more or less just placing a bet on the action, the, the price action of this asset over a specified period of time. Is that right? Yeah, and you can uh, get different types of exposures to alpha, beta, theta um, type of um, uh, movement. So if you, if you don't know where the price is going to go, but you expect volatility to increase, you could create uh, what's, what's called straddling uh, you know, an option position. And so options can make money on the price moving uh, structured in a way where it doesn't um, largely doesn't matter if you construct it properly. You just make money on the fact that there's more volatility. So you can you can also um, use a derivative product, uh, which BitMix is actually really popular in Derybit is uh, the Challenger Derivatives Exchange. Um, uh, in mass at the moment, where you just do a one times leverage short, and it essentially allows you to hedge. So you'll keep your dollar value. Um, you'll technically lose Bitcoin if the price goes up, but you'll keep the same amount of money. And if the price goes down, you, you keep the same amount of money and you're actually accruing more Bitcoin. So that's really so, fascinating um, in a way where we're in bear markets or something. This is a different avenue that users could potentially learn how to use to retain their wealth or even grow it rather than losing 80% just being a hodler. Yeah, and these instruments are only really available for the top assets that are liquid enough. You won't get uh, these types of products for uh, tokens that are you know small in terms of daily trading volumes. So, you know, one of the big questions that we get asked, you know, we travel around and we talk about crypto all the time and with our buddies and stuff. And we always get different answers to this question, but let me ask you, you know, what gives a public open blockchain network like crypto or sorry, like, uh, like Bitcoin or Ethereum, what gives them monetary value? Why are these things retaining monetary value in your opinion? Well, the different public blockchains retain value in different ways because they're designed and used for uh, dramatically different things. Um, so let me answer that question with a question. What gives a piece of paper with some crusty old dude's face on it value? Right. And the right. response the, the we US, always get is the military, right? Like the military backs it. Yeah. So you could argue that it's enforced with, um, you know, the, uh, backed by the military industrial complex. You could argue that it's backed by future generations of taxpayers. It's essentially trust in the concept and system and trust uh, or sorry, an idea uh, that powerful. There's only uh, one other type of uh, idea that that big, and that's the construct of religion. Right? There's no way to kill a currency or a religion unless the bulk of the uh, believers uh, lose faith in the idea. And then the idea transforms and you, for you know, currencies, you end up with things like hyperinflation because there's a systemic loss in confidence in the concept that these dollars are actually good for uh, exchanging uh, the same thing. 
you are putting uh, trust into the idea that decentralized money uh, is going to hold value. And my argument is that because Bitcoin in particular is hard-coded into math, essentially, the supply and the um, money mechanics, monetary policy, it's a lot more quantifiable, measurable, and trustable, as opposed to not knowing what your government is going to do, like we've just seen more of the printing presses go online with uh, you know some pretty incredible uh, repos uh, being being uh, brought up at the US government last week and more printing uh, on the horizon this is kind of like a perfect storm yeah it is a perfect storm I mean credit's never been easier uh, except leading into the you know great recession and we saw the Fed right of the United States uh, print something like 40 40 to 45 percent of the entire bailout package from 2008, 2009 in the course of one week. I mean, that's an insane amount of money. It's like $300 billion or something like that. Um, and people need to understand what that does uh, to their savings, right? And that what that you know inversely does to the price of assets. Yeah, so it basically devalues all the other money in existence. It's like saying, you know, there's a maximum of 21 million Bitcoin, and then, oh, let's just change that to 42 million Bitcoin, you know, double the potential supply out there. Uh, all the Bitcoin in existence would, theoretically, the market should adjust and, and uh, devalue uh, that to, to price it in. And so it's a hidden inflation, it's a hidden tax, this money, money, money printing, uh, where the, the US dollar will be actually pretty stable and strong for some time but on a long enough timeline you know it's a zero-sum game so this is all in favor of decentralized value systems and the technology that that gave birth to them you know um, decentralized ledgers and blockchain and uh, that's what i mean it's a perfect storm so you've got the feds printing copious amounts of capital uh, the stock market is all you know, rallying and companies are buying back their own stocks. Uh, interest rates are going to near zero or sub-zero in many places. Basically, money is cheap and money is looking for a home. And then there's this uh, tantalizing sexing new asset class. And I'm not surprised that we're in another bull market again. I was just going to ask about that. I was going to ask you to where are we at in the crypto market cycle? What are the indicators you're looking at that tells us that we're in a bull market right now? Well, first and foremost, it's the um, uh, uh, fundamental information, not the, not the technical. So the wallet numbers, the hash rates, uh, the velocity of money on chain, i.e. the uh, size and frequency of US dollar value between Bitcoin addresses which indicates utility. So you've got a strength of the network growing through its hash rate. More people believe uh, that it's profitable and worthwhile to uh, contribute hash rates to strengthen the system and be rewarded for it. And then at the same time, you have more and more wallets in the, uh, and uh, velocity of money, indicating that people are actually using this to store and transfer value in an increasing way. So that's utility. And uh, then on top of that, we're starting to see the kind of increased types of utility. It's not just store of value. Um, 
We're seeing, you know, assets being created on Bitcoin slowly. We're seeing uh, micro channels for payments via the advent of uh, Lightning. I mean, that's in its very early days, but it's showing, uh, again, a new type of use and the increase in volume of development of these types of tools and the use of those tools. And those are really key metrics on the macro scale to say, okay, this isn't going anywhere. More and more people are using it, supporting it, buying into it, so on and so forth. And from a, a technical perspective, the price tends to follow adoption and supply. And this is the cleanest free market economics I've ever seen. You know, one, you can measure how much Bitcoin there's going to be. No one's going to print a billion Bitcoin tomorrow. And we know that the supply halves every four years, which is 232 days away from today. So with a re reduced supply and increased uh, use of the network, you know, it's it's uh, what my old economics teacher would call guns and butter supply and <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about free market principles here at Crypto 101. So hopefully that's a, a concept that everybody's familiar with. But if this is the first time they've tuned in and maybe it's the first time they've been exposed to free market principles, um, would you mind giving us a rundown of, uh, of free market principles as compared to, you know, a market where the government intervenes and stuff like that with subsidies and tariffs and shit. Yeah, I mean, it's literally just supply versus demand. And free market simply means that it's unobstructed. So that's the thing that has taken the institutional users out there and the governments quite some time to really grasp and understand. You know, it's the classical uh, ignore it, laugh at it, make fun of it, and then and then you win. And then they join you, <laughs> um, and they're they're starting to realize that this is global. Right? There's no barriers to this. The stock market opens up at 9:30 in the morning and closes uh, at 4 p.m. The Dow Jones, anyway, as an example. They're, Bitcoin never sleeps. You know, one month in crypto is uh, sorry, one day in crypto is like a month in the real world on the stock market in terms of the pace of announcements, the uh, pace of uh, technology change, and, uh, uh, and the volatility. So all of that frequency and cadence is due to the unobstructed global nature. This is native to the internet. Stocks, bonds, commodities, whatever, they're not native to the internet. This is the protocol of money for the internet, or it will be. You know, as as it scales up and and becomes really embedded, and so with uh, without barriers uh, to to participation, um, it's a twenty four you know three sixty five asset class uh, that is truly global, transcends all borders, and uh, therefore it's uh, it's largely what does the world uh, want versus how much is available globally, global supply and demand. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And some of us are afraid that it may not continue to be a beautiful thing if the institutions really get involved and kind of take over from here. There's no one that can match the amount of wealth they can throw around and the moves they can make. What's the general sentiment regarding institutions and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general right now? Are we finally being taken seriously or is this choice going to be absorbed and become very dormant and boring and for the rich and wealthy like uh, the stock market? 
So I've got some pretty polarizing views on uh, the scenarios for the future. Right now, there is little obstruction to free market economics, but we are seeing some barriers in, in some places. So with the advent of new cryptocurrency-specific regulation for anti-money laundering like Taft and Theft and all the rest that's just come out, those are starting to represent uh, friction points to an extent for you know completely true free market for a free market environment. So you know, in the beginning, it was completely and totally unobstructed uh, in terms of price discovery. But at the same time, there was very little access. So you would literally have to go on uh, internet relay chats and, and say, hey, I've got 40,000 Bitcoin. Can I buy a couple of pizzas or whatever? And then there was exchanges. And following that, there was OTC desks or over-the-counter desks. Uh, allowing for block trades or larger sizes without slippage, as it's called. And then we've seen the rise of, of derivatives. And so there's more and more access points that attract more and more types or more and more personas to this asset class. In the beginning, that was the kind of a narco-capitalist uh, libertarian in the super early days. People that you know got into this for the cyberpunk movement and the uh, libertarian ideals, and then we saw a sort of epoch after 2013-14, where the early venture, early investors, early high net worth individuals, early VCs started to scratch at it. Right, so the, the Tim Drapers of this world started to you know bid on auctions and, and participate because there was an increased amount of on-ramps and methods to participate. So those on-ramps all have KYC, AML, CFT, and all the other compliance that they, that they need, and that's been increasing. But what I'm trying to describe is an environment where the pace at which new on-ramps exist, you know, we've backed launching a couple of days ago, and uh, a whole range of new crypto exchanges being erected out of Japan and, and uh, Asia servicing institutional users, the on-ramps outpace the friction points to get in and participate right now. I don't really see a risk for uh, the next couple of years um, unless you know, a major country like the United States mainly just puts a blanket ban on on owning cryptocurrency, which would be a pretty crazy thing to do, but you just never know with that particular and, nation. Yeah, so, and it also uh, happened in America uh, in the 1930s when they banned owning gold. They were like, hey, if you own gold, you got to come bring it to your bank. There is absolutely nothing more threatening to the status quo than uh, an alternative, successful, competing uh, store of value to the to the U.S. dollar, and so um, there might be a time when this asset class is big enough to start to represent a, a, an actual threat to the status quo, the you know uh, U.S. dollar-denominated global reserve currency, but. At the same time, that's been falling in dominance over the last decade anyway. We're starting right. to see China and Russia swap contracts outside of U.S. dollars for oil and natural gas. We're starting to see the BRICS nations uh, come together without um, you know, the inclusion of uh, certain Western nations in their currencies for trade talks and uh, settlement talks. So the de-dollarization is already accelerating, which is part of the, the perfect storm analogy. I did mention a couple of scenarios for the future and why and that I'm about. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Polarized on it. So, you know, we, we talk a lot to um, various governments and uh, enterprise and, you know, I'd argue we have, a, we have a pretty strong thumb on the pulse of this whole industry at a super macro level. And so we know that the People's Bank of China is constructing a, a digital yuan. We know that the Reserve Bank of England has been experimenting with their own stablecoin or digitized uh, blockchain-powered national currency as a, as a research piece to start with. Uh, we've seen the rise of stablecoins. You know, uh, JP Morgan famously laughing at the stuff and then all of a sudden creating JP Morgan coin. Uh, it's the epitome of, uh, you know, first they fight you and then, and then you win. Uh, as, as everybody do, does their own thing. There's two forks in the roads, pun intended, for this entire industry. One is essentially a, a bit of a dystopia where you've got not quite tr uh, truly open blockchains, private blockchains with backdoor, side doors, tracing, and all of that stuff built by less than reputable regimes, which you know, could be quite a dangerous thing. You can just turn your wealth off if you say something bad about the government. Now, we hope that governments have a little bit more sense than that and that eventuality doesn't play out. And then the other end of the spectrum, you've got um, unstoppable decentralized finance, uh, which is terrifying in its own right. So we're talking about decentralized autonomous Authorities, basically software that earns money and spends money to grow itself and grow its own net worth and appropriate its resources as it's programmed to. And so I see the future as somewhere in between those two extremes, which will be a battle between sovereign states and their um, need to control their own currencies and their stability, and we're already seeing a plethora of currency wars out there as it is, versus unstoppable decentralized machines that nobody is liable for controls. It's going to be a very weird and very interesting future over the next five to 10 years. That's why I'm here. I can't wait to see what happens. And honestly, I'm okay either way. I just am here for the chaos. But speaking, and that's one of my favorite definitions of DeFi that I've ever heard, by the way. Like that was so well explained. So I just wanted to pop in. Uh, but Pete's mind, uh, we're going to get into the IEO. So, you know. Yeah. Speaking of new coins, uh, I hear you guys are launching an IEO. Who can get involved? Uh, why should get involved? What's it going to do? Drop it on us. All righty. So I explained that the company started with what is this worth? Price discovery and uh, basic research around that to start to classify and quantify this asset class and how we've distributed our data through large existing providers like NASDAQ and TPI Cap over the last six years. For the last 18 months, we've been building a digital wealth management platform. It's basically Bloomberg or Thomson Reuters icon terminal for crypto. So you get to go to bnc-pro.com 
create a free account and it's got a modular experience. So you can activate a portfolio tool that integrates to various exchanges and has various reporting uh, suite and alerts uh, uh, overlaid onto your holdings or your, or your customers' holdings if you're asset managing on behalf of um, you know, your, your customers, AUM. Uh, it's got aggregate news. It's not just our news, but it's all news that's been aggregated and filtered. So you could put that on a different screen. It'll have charting. So all of our uh, data intraday as well as end of day as, um, and uh, exchange derived data will be available through a different app. So we've built a highly modular app store uh, like experience that users can activate only the parts that are relevant to them. This is quite complex, but I'll try and boil it down. Essentially, it's a digital wealth management suite that starts off with news, charting, and um, a uh, hopefully killer portfolio tool that we will then expand. Uh, we have a very aggressive roadmap to offer you know, modules for risk management, uh, order routing and trade execution, so you're not just reading what you've done on exchange. You, you can actually, in the future, push orders to brokers and exchanges. We're investigating a compliance chat so that you could uh, we could potentially facilitate non-custodial peer-to-peer trading. Uh, so, in other words, you can say, "Hey, uh, I'm looking for you know to buy a million Dogecoin. Which of the OTC brokers uh, can I tap into?" And the trade happens between between them, and we're just a window into that. That's amazing. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna expand this over time. We f- we feel like this this asset class is um, uh, needs a proper tool that um, whether you're a portfolio manager, trader, risk officer, compliance officer, or or uh, a regulator, you can do your job better. And uh, so we start off with. Um, uh, what's this worth to me? Being able to contextualize it with a range of reporting, alerting, and uh, research tools. And then in quarter one, two, three next year, we'll be rolling out these other modules that allow you to do something with your digital wealth. And that's where the really exciting stuff kicks in with uh, decentralized finance. I don't think DeFi is stable and minimal viable infrastructure enough right now but I see it as growing and I see people's imagination finally uh, getting to a point where they're starting to understand what those products look like. And so my understanding or theory of DeFi is that, let's put it this way. If you go to facebook.com, you don't really think HTTPS colon dot slash slash facebook.com. You don't really pay attention to whether you're using Mozilla or Chrome or Firefox or, um, sorry, Internet Explorer. You just go to facebook.com. And so we see liquidity and financial products, insurance, uh, all kinds of uh, instruments uh, being over time decentralized uh, to the point where all you need is a browser into that product. So, in other words, if the order book is on-chain, but the blockchain to scale to be able to provide for that cohesively, then 
BNC can essentially offer a window into a particular product and accentuate it with, you know, through the terminal and then wrap it in things that make it uh, tangible and useful, like research and data. So that you can go, all right, there's, there's a decentralized futures contract available that somebody wrote and, and it's quite liquid and people are using it. You know, right now we call this stuff Binance Dex and IDEX. E for Delta, Fork Delta, that sort of stuff is the really early days of decentralized order books. But in the future, you know, well, even now, you need to be able to quantify. You need to know how, how liquid is this stuff and how many users are there and what asset is it and what are the properties and yields of this asset. And so that all takes, uh, you know, uh, data and research to, to understand before you participate. And so what we want to do is build... You know, certain trends are very obvious to us, and we want to build the tools before the market truly goes, you know, ham in demand for such products. And that way, we end up with a really nice market position. And so, uh, with the launch of BNC Pro, it is the beginning. I mean, it's taken millions and uh, 18 months to put this together, including the unbelievable team that's uh, joined us uh, over time to, to make this happen. Um, but the launch is really just the beginning of what we hope is a truly international platform uh, and the first uh, features in, in a very aggressive roadmap. So that's the platform. Now, what's the token? Does the world need another token? So those that know me know that I've uh, got researchers and analysts and I've set up other companies like Take Me Capital and Take Me Advisory. We, we have looked at something like 560 different deals in the blockchain space since mid-2017. And we've invested into stuff like Hashgraph and uh, just a number of kind of infrastructure-focused uh, uh, solutions out there. And we had the opportunity to launch a BNC token um, during 2017, but it wasn't clear what the hell the token was for. I, I just couldn't bring myself to it ethically to launch something just because everybody's creating a token. You know, we probably could have raised some ridiculous amount of money and all that FOMO and hype back in the day, but we chose to go down the equity route instead. And over the course between 2017 uh, to now, we've really refined our thinking about the point of tokens and the best practices and how to do it economically viably and ethically. And so what we decided to do is create a digital software license. And we went to our regulators with our plans, and they made some pretty incredible rulings in our favor that we're very, very happy with. So the BNC token is backed by our products. Instead of saying, hey, everyone, give us a pile of money, and maybe we'll build something in two years' time, we're saying, this is like Kickstarter. We're about to launch in November. If you want to use the sexy new product, you can pre-buy use of the product for cheap by participating in the IEO. We will have utility within three weeks of uh, completing the IEO. I actually prefer to call it an IPO, an initial product offering. It's not that different to Kickstarter, where you essentially get a cheaper product that's about to launch, and it helps the company uh, finance its growth and manufacturing uh, of the utility more rapidly. So 
the token will essentially give you the rights to redeem products on our platform at a rate of, of a dollar. So it doesn't matter what the market price uh, does. If it's below a buck, we will honor it at a buck. If it's over a buck, uh, you get more purchasing power on the platform. So what we've discovered is that we're not actually, we're not going public as a company. We're going public with the product which is a really interesting and never done before kind of consideration. It just means that our job under these money mechanics, we are fully incentivized to create as much utility over time as possible. We have framework in terms of a team and a technology geared in such a way that is designed for rapid customer feedback. We're going to listen to what the market says and rapidly pump out features and products through our BNC Pro terminal uh, to create more and more utility uh, over time. So if people you know, desperately want compliant chat, we will prioritize resources to make that happen. If people want to have a staking module or information about staking, then we can prioritize that. So it's a very, very simple token economics model. And the best analogy that I like to use is, you know, when I set up this company in 2013, I bought, I think, five software licenses, uh, like a pack of five Microsoft Office licenses. I didn't need five, but there was some deal on. I can sort of remember vaguely that uh, there was a, a massive discount to buy that bundle. And then I activated two or three computers, and, uh, and I thought, well, why can't I sell these unused ones, the two that I'm not activating? It was, it was just the three founders in the, in the first month when we launched. Uh, and of course, you know, there's like 60 people now full time and we've got a lot more Microsoft licenses. But back then I thought, why can't I sell these? And with the evolution that we've seen with cryptocurrency, we're now able to essentially digitize those software licenses and look at them, sell them or redeem them for uh, different products and services. You can't take a Microsoft Office license and redeem it for a different Microsoft product or a Microsoft partner product. Well, if you digitize with, via token or tokenization a software license, you can. You have a lot more functionality in that license. And the only difference, uh, well, the major difference between us and I believe every other token to date is no one's really bothered to say, hey, we're going to back this thing with our own products. So we're really excited about that. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've mapped out how this is going to evolve over time and the network effects and game theory of all of this. And it all sounds, uh, uh, you know, like, why hasn't anybody done this before? <laughs> uh, that was incredible. I, I literally can't even sit still or be quiet anymore because this is so exciting to me. Basically, what you're building, in short, is a business intelligence platform for people in crypto, which is like a trillion dollar software industry in like the regular world. And the amount of information and insights that are needed to control, you know, huge operations like Accenture, um, you know, Microsoft Business Intelligence is one of the other platforms that comes to mind. And SAP, like these huge, huge deals. And now you're taking these insights and information and data and putting it into people that are in the crypto industry and blockchain and stuff. For myself personally, like, while you were talking, I literally signed up for your wait list to be included on this one. <laughs> and as far as the token the goes, this is uh, like a, dig a tokenized software license is something that I was wondering myself about uh, for the future. I said, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen anyone do this before. 
So this is a conversation we're going to have to continue offline because this is super, super fascinating to me. And I think it's going to really change the way the world works when people decide to do. We've had, you know, originally you'd buy software from a shelf at Best Buy and then you'd install the CD and that was good enough. And then it wasn't good enough because the internet came around and people could copy disks and things. So now you needed license keys. And then that wasn't good enough anymore. People cracked them and passed them around too much. So then everything migrated to platform as a service. And now you didn't buy anything. You just had, you didn't even download anything. You just had to visit a website and they, you had the subscription model now instead of paying once per month. And I think tokenized software licensing is the next evolution of all that. So it's very, very fascinating what you guys are doing. And if there's even more information, you know, I can't even imagine. Bryce, what do you think? Yeah, man, I, I'm super stoked on everything that you guys are doing. And I love that you guys, uh, that you came on the show and were able to explain it all in a very one-on-one fashion. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. I'd like to add a couple more sort of musings, if, if please, you will, or uh, in, interesting considerations. So one, our regulators have recognized and ruled uh, uh, that essentially why would you be KYC'd for buying a Microsoft Office license? That was, that was our argument. So when you go to the platform, just because it's a cryptocurrency, we're not going to KYC you for using our software. That would be silly, right? We will KYC you if you withdraw it. So under our uh, Financial Markets Authority and the Department of Internal Affairs, they're uh, happy with our CFT and AML program, which basically uh, KYC's people exiting or uh, withdrawing. They say that's when it becomes a cryptocurrency. It's a software license on the platform, and if people withdraw it, then it becomes a cryptocurrency. I know that you know everything's on the blockchain, so it's a little, a little bit silly to label it that way, but this is a really fundamental key difference because if we couldn't get away with that, then we wouldn't be able to uh, um, launch. And um, you know, could you imagine asking people for a selfie with their passport just to use a, a portfolio tool or run a report on their holdings and stuff <laughs> like that? Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get anywhere as a business owner. I mean, nobody would do it. Exactly. So this platform is also uh, not just uh, GDPR compliant. I, we cannot access an individual uh, account's holdings. Uh, we can't see what you uh, what you own and uh, your, your net worth or anything like that. But it's also compliance with uh, about a dozen other countries' um, privacy laws and data protection laws, which I feel is extremely important for um, the crypto industry because everybody's paranoid about everything. So that's that's worth mentioning. And uh, there was one other item which I just wanted to cover off but it eludes me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe some of the other questions that we ask you here in closing might, uh, might prompt some of those thoughts. So one of the things we like to ask every guest who comes on the show, you know, we want to know like in the last 12 months or so, what has been the most fundamentally bullish uh, event that has taken place? Sometimes people say like the Libra thing that came out or backed launching, but kind of in your opinion, what do you think has been the most fundamentally bullish? Oh, that's a hard question. I mean, I guess you could answer it on a short-term or long-term basis. But if you're saying specifically year to date, I'd have to say the increase in hash rates. Mm. Um, just further dedication that, you know, this is, uh, this is not going anywhere and people are supporting it. As well as the increased uh, usage and type of usage is very important. Uh, so the network values, I'm not really the biggest fan of that 
particular indicator, but it does allude to the type of use and frequency of use of the um, blockchain itself. And then, of course, there's Japan, and nobody understands what's going on in the West. Did you say Japan? So, Japan. Japan. Yep. So, <laughs> I'll touch on that just briefly. So, I've been going to Tokyo every month for 12 months. And I've been meeting with all of the companies. And the reason for that is about two years ago, I came across some very basic public information. That is that 63% of all the wealth in Japan is owned by 60 plus year olds. And so what I realized is, you know, I started looking into the market over there, the conventional market. There is no financial instruments built for the other generations. So in 2013, 14, crypto came along, the first exchanges came along, and everybody gambled furiously, right? The adoption of alternative coins in Japan was enormous. And then of course, the early exchanges weren't exactly the most secure and a lot got hacked and then the regulators stepped in and so on and so forth. And so, uh, fast forward to 2017, 18, Japan was one of the first nations to have the regulators create very concise and clear frameworks defining what cryptocurrencies are and how you're able to participate products building in that industry. And as a side note, government and enterprise in Japan are very tightly bonded. They're not really ashamed of it. It's, it's just how things work over there. So, Instead of a whole bunch of startups like 2013, 14, offering products without the blessing of the Japanese regulators, what we've found since 2017, 18, especially late 18 and now 19, is that unlike buddying entrepreneurs, some of which become unicorns like Kraken and uh, Coinbase, etc., in the West, in Japan, you've got the mega banks building all the infrastructure. Ah. Right? So, SBI, Rakuten, Nomura, MUFG, Daiwa Securities. These companies are building you know, cold storage solutions, custody solutions, licensed cryptocurrency exchanges for both spot and derivatives, you know, all sorts of infrastructure with the uh, new licenses uh, blessed by the regulators. For, I was just going to say real quick, just for context for our for our audience, a lot of these folks are are Westerners as well, and so the the companies that here he's naming, I mean, think of these as the Japanese equivalent of you know Amazon and Apple and you know Google. These are like mega, mega, mega companies, uh, multi billion, you know, hundred billion dollar market cap companies. Yeah, well, let me let me put it in perspective. So one very tired morning, I had a meeting, and the opening line was. Hi, we're the world's largest investment bank. How can we help you? <laughs> the head of innovation. I was like, okay, all right. So, you know, you wouldn't be saying something like that unless you had a very clear um, leadership position to, <laughs> to, to make a statement like that. I love that. Like, all right. That, that, um, and then he took me through a co-working space, which wasn't, you know, like you walk into WeWork and there's a dozen companies or something in there. It was three entire 50-story buildings, <laughs> you know, and it's, here's our fintech floor, here's our other fintech floor, here's our AI floor, you know, it's just absolutely ginormous in terms of how much money they're pouring into technology there in general, and uh, not surprised to see 
some of that make its way into pretty substantial blockchain. So all of that just simply represents the the tens and tens of millions of users in Japan, which is a very large nation and large economy, now have multiple on-ramps to multiple products in the crypto space. And I truly believe that the rally on the 1st of April was because the uh, a couple of the larger exchanges went live uh, in Japan. It was like an oil tanker in the middle of the night. Nobody, nobody even noticed it. It's just all this fresh volume, and none of them are publishing their data. Um, so, you know, it's not on coin market cap or even on revenue coins. Some of the trading volumes just don't exist. That is fascinating insight, Fran. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and really illuminating so much more than we generally get to see here at Crypto One One. We are blessed to be able to speak with you know, the best and brightest minds and the leaders in the crypto and blockchain space. And um, we wanted to give you a chance to ask us a question just in case there's anything you might be wondering, but we might have seen or heard or um, just anything in general. Well, what's the price prediction for end of 2020? I asked this to everybody. I think by the end of 2020, I can see crypto at a, or I could see, sorry, Bitcoin at a trillion dollar market cap. So that would probably put us at like what, 50K or something, whatever, 18 million time divided or yeah, maybe like put it at 50K for, for Bitcoin by the end of, end of 2020. 50K. Okay. I would actually say it's going to be closer to a hundred, probably between 80 and 90. And, but my, my more, uh, Interesting prediction, I think, is we will see an entirely new top 10 on crypto market cap, primarily with tokenized stocks, funds, and other enormous vehicles that have adopted the technology. I think Bitcoin will still be there. Ethereum has an outside shot. I think everything else is gone. But I don't think that those things are going to be considered as cryptocurrencies. Those are tokenized securities and those won't even, those shouldn't be on coin market cap, right? It's not a currency. It's just a, a, a tokenized security. I guess that's up to coin market cap what they want to list. Uh, my prediction personally is, um, yeah, sitting at about 60K and we're talking about six months after the halving. So the price is being priced in ahead of that. And then if the adoption of hash rate, everything else continues and Bitcoin starts to prove that it can scale, um, the value of the network and the price of the token will, will go up with it. But I fully support the concept that there'll be a currency or asset that is not a security that will uh, be in the top five by the end of 2020, which doesn't exist today. But it might exist next week. <laughs> Possibly. No, no, no. So, yeah, uh, the BNC token, we hope, sort of gives users more purchasing power over time, but we've built something backed by products. So it's our job to make more products. We don't need it to go to a trillion-dollar market cap. But I think that we're going to get some, you know, some uh, innovative new assets that is a, a, a native chain that either exists today or is yet to launch that will make its way into the top five. So that's the fun part, trying to find the, uh, the, the killer apps uh, of the future uh, early. 
Amazing. Yeah, we, we completely agree. And, and it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you. I especially loved the tidbit about Japan. That was some insight that you could only get from boots on the ground. Just never heard anything like that. So, so Fran, thank you for joining us today here at Crypto 101. If we want to, you know, stay in touch with you guys, would you, what would, how would you recommend? I know you guys have an amazing newsletter. So maybe go to bravenewcoin.com and sign up for that. But you guys are pretty active on Twitter too, right? Yeah, we've got a full marketing team and every channel known to man in terms of uh, social. Twitter is go-to for you know price alerts. So uh, we've got a specific BNC uh, pricing channel. We'll have a specific BNC Pro Twitter account shortly for that platform. But the newsletters are you know uh, handcrafted, yeah, they're lovingly and. Uh, Best uh, uh, best way to sort of get market insights and trend insights and king news and stuff like that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, and we will see you soon. Have a good rest of your Thanks day, so much. and we'll talk to you soon. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.